Conversations. Hello everyone, you are listening to Med Conversations. I'm Beck, and I'm joined today by the wonderful Davo and Rahul. Thank you, Beck. Greetings. Are you driving today? I am. What are we talking about? Uh, we're talking about tremor, so apologies for any um, issues with the driving. Mm. Very audio-friendly topic. Mm. Nobody got my joke about driving with a tremor. Mm. Anyway. I... Uh, so, we're going to be talking about someone called Diane today, not her real name. Um, this is a patient who presented to a neurology outpatients clinic. And we'll just go through her case, how you would approach it, and what the different diagnoses are that can cause a tremor. So, this is the referral letter you got at neurology outpatients. It said something along the lines of this. Thank you for seeing Diane, an otherwise well 66-year-old retired teacher presenting with six months of worsening hand tremor for your opinion and management. Her past medical history just lists off uh, hypertension, medications, enalapril, 15 milligrams daily, no allergies, and a family history of stroke in Diane's mother and AMI in the father, as well as an undefined tremor in her father. She wasn't sure what the diagnosis was. Mm-hmm. So that's all you know. You haven't gone out to see the patient yet. But what have you learned so far from from this letter? So she's an older woman, 66-year-old. Well, it depends on what definition you're using. But My mum would say that's a young woman. <laughs> Middle-aged. So you have to consider things like Parkinson's disease. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so the time of peak incident, incidence for Parkinson's disease is in the early to mid-60s, mm-hmm. um, but also for essential tremor, which we'll be talking a little bit more about okay. later. Okay. She's uh, had six months of this tremor, which I guess is you know, not really an acute sort of period, mm. so you start to rule out some of the things mm. might present acutely. Like what? Hypoglycemia. Yep. Stroke. Yep. Another one's alcohol withdrawal. Mm. One of the things with hypoglycemia and stroke is that even though these things might come on acutely, it's not unlikely that the patient might have the tremor for six months after that. So hypoglycemia might be a recurrent thing. Mm, Stroke might have just uh, left a deficit that caused the tremor. That's true. It wouldn't Um, be worsening though. No. No, that's right. Um, But six months buys you a bit of time. You probably don't need to quickly Mm. rush her off to hospital. Um, the letter said that she had a hand tremor. It doesn't really tell you very much because we don't know if it's just a hand tremor or if there are other associated features. We don't know if it's in both hands. Some of that's important to know, mm-hmm. but we'll find out when she comes in. Past medical history wasn't very exciting, so she's just got this hypertension treated by enalapril. But really what we're looking for um, in a patient presenting with a tremor is a past history of something that might require antipsychotics like bipolar mm-hmm. or schizophrenia. Because antipsychotics can cause a Parkinson-like syndrome that uh, includes a tremor. Also, things like asthma. So, why is asthma important? Salbutamol. Why? Why salbutamol? Disease tremor. Yeah. So it's a beta agonist, mm. and that's what that does. Mm. Her family history was most remarkable for the tremor in her father, mm. and a lot of patients do come in and they say, "Oh, you know, Dad had a tremor, but we never found out what it was." Mm. So it's a good idea in these kind of patients to quiz them a bit further, even though mm. their dad might not have had a diagnosis. Did he walk funny? Did you notice any other health issues that he had? Um, did he drink a lot? Did he drink a lot? Did he suddenly stop drinking mm-hmm. a lot? Mm-hmm. And that can help you figure it out. So. Parkinson's disease can have a genetic component, but essential tremor more so 
mm. often runs in families. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah. So, okay, so we know a lot about Diane already. Um, and then we actually go out into the waiting room and call her name. And mm. she stands up. She has normal body habitus. Mm. So, already, what is that? Why is that important? Probably not going to be thyrotoxic. Yep. Mm. So, if someone has um, hyperthyroidism, they're more likely to be quite lean. Mm. Weight gain associated with antipsychotic use, particularly the good ones. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep. The typical ones. Certainly. Um, also, atypicals. Atypicals, actually, atypical more likely. Mm. So, your olanzapine mm. and. Oh, really? Mm. Okay. Mm. And importantly, with, with antipsychotics, if we just take this tangent, um, with antipsychotics, the, although the typical ones are more likely to cause tremor, the atypical ones are more likely to cause a weight gain. So okay. you've got to be careful there. Okay. Um, another thing that might lead to uh, you narrowing down your diagnosis on looking at the body habitus is if they're really overweight, they're more likely to have diabetes, which means that hypoglycemia might be causing mm-hmm. a tremor. But she's normal, so that hasn't really helped us out all that much. The next thing that you note is that she's dressed appropriately. So appropriately for the weather and appropriately for uh, social norms. Mm. So, so psychosis, uh, psychotic patients might be wearing odd clothing. Mm. Disorganised um, behaviour. Probably yeah. not 100% sensitive, that test, though. No, yeah, But it no. is a good thing. Yeah. So, so if they are wearing odd clothing, then it's more likely that they've yeah. got psychosis. But, um, also, if someone has hyperthyroidism, they may be heat intolerant mm. and and therefore be dressed in minimal clothing even if it's quite cold. The next thing is uh, she she gets up, like I said. She gets up mm. easily and then she walks independently with a normal gait. Cerebellum's probably intact then. Yeah, mm. so in a, in a cerebellar problem, what might you see? Very wide-based, ataxic gait. That drunk gait. Mm. Mm. Yeah, what's another thing that causes both a tremor and an altered gait? Parkinson's. Good. So what kind of gait do you get in Parkinson's? Melbourne shuffle. Mm. The Melbourne shuffle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah and, and the other thing is you get bradykinesia. So getting out of a chair, turning a corner, takes a really long time. Uh, so so we've gotten into the waiting room. Now, now um, we can finally take proper history. First, I might also note she smiled as mm. she greeted us. So that means that she doesn't have mask-like faces, mm. which you see in Parkinson's disease. And and again, if we're sort of following this psychosis thing, um, people who have schizophrenia often have a blunted affect and, and may be less likely. A to... real Sherlock Holmes of medicine yeah. over here. Mm. Diagnosis in the waiting room. Mm. Yeah, so just to help us with our diagnosis, when she actually finally makes it into the consulting yeah. room, I'll just go through a quick classification of tremor. So we're going to leave Diane behind for a moment and talk about the different kinds of tremor. So these are resting, action, and mixed. Within an action tremor, there are five main subtypes, and I'm not going to talk about them today, Mm. but I'll just tell you what they are so the words are familiar. So an intention tremor, postural tremor, kinetic tremor, isometric or task-specific tremor. Mm. So all of those things are different kinds of action tremors. But we'll start off with resting tremors. Mm. So what can you think of that causes a resting tremor? Only one thing, Parkinson's disease. Yeah. That I can think of, <laughs> I should say. Parkinson's syndrome in general, they're yeah. all resting tremors? or? Yeah. And I, well, I, I should kind of put in a disclaimer here. 
Uh, I've seen a lot of patients in neurology clinics who have tremors and so many of them don't fit into their assigned category. Mm -hmm. So we say that Parkinson's disease presents with a resting tremor, but a lot of the time it doesn't. Good for your multiple choice questions though. Exactly. That's all that really counts. Mm. Exactly. So Parkinson's disease and anything associated with Parkinson's disease, so Parkinson's plus syndromes, um, toxin-induced Parkinsonism, and Parkinsonism as a side effect of antipsychotic drugs. Mm. So let's talk about Parkinson's disease first. Okay. What are the main symptoms? Bradykinesia. Yep. Rigidity. Yep. Tremor. And tremor. Mm. <laughs> They're the main ones. Word of it's the a, day. It's a clinical diagnosis, so there's no test, and a lot of the time the diagnosis is made on the presentation and also on the response to therapy. Mm. Um, Parkinson's plus syndromes get a little bit more complicated. I'll just tell you briefly about three main ones, Lewy body dementia, multiple system atrophy, and progressive supranuclear palsy. Mm. So Lewy body dementia, you get Parkinsonism, and what else? Hallucinations of little kids. Yeah, what's that called? The little, little. Not, not little kids necessarily, little people. Little people, sorry. Uh, it's Lilliputian hallucinations, huh? Mm. Yeah. From, uh, Gulliver's Travels. It's the Lilliput people. So, so they get they get um, really vivid visual hallucinations. Mm. But the main diagnostic criteria for Lewy body dementia is uh, the onset of both dementia and Parkinsonism within one year. Mm. It's really bad to give those people antipsychotics. Mm. Mm. And I've heard those people aren't usually affected or they're not emotionally distressed by their hallucinations mm. as opposed to someone who's delirious or psychotic, which could be helpful. Mm. Unpleasant, mm. really. Mm. <laughs> Multiple system atrophy is the second Parkinson's plus syndrome I'll tell you about, and that's when the Parkinsonism is associated with um, quite a prominent autonomic dysfunction. So what kind of symptoms fit into that? Postural hypertension. Yeah, that's a big one. That's something that a lot of Parkinson's patients have in general as well, I think. You know, Late-stage Parkinson's or when they start to get their autonomic system affected by? I'm not sure. Uh. I'm not sure either, sorry. Um, so some other autonomic dysfunction uh, symptoms are atonic bladder and gastroparesis. Mm. So just think about what diabetics get when they get mm. autonomic dysfunction. Mm. All right, the next Parkinson's plus syndrome is progressive supranuclear palsy. So this looks like Parkinson's disease at first, but these patients are more likely to have falls and postural instability early in the disease course. Mm. And it gets diagnosed as progressive supranuclear palsy when the patients get this vertebral gaze palsy. Most most significantly they can't they can't look down. Some people can't look up either. Mm. But mm. So yeah. they're they're the Parkinson's plus things and we talked a bit about what Parkinson's disease itself is. Mm. One of the other things that I told you cause a resting tremor is toxin induced Parkinsonism. What kind of toxins? Organophosphates. Mm. Yeah. So that's one of the things. Herbicides as well, other kinds of herbicides. Mm. Cyanide. Yeah, so just watch out for the cyanide, kids, and, and you'll be fine. There's a whole list of drugs here, but um, I don't think it's worth going too deeply into that. The next thing is drugs. So there are a lot of different kinds of drugs that We've cause got, different kinds of uh, the main ones causing restless neuroleptics. Antipsychotics. Also, antiemetics. So what kind of antiemetics can you think of that cause a resting tremor? Metoclopramide. Yeah, that's a big one. And it's really commonly used as well. Domperidone. Domperidone. Say a funny name. Domperignon. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Champagne breakfast for everyone. 
Um, so, so that's resting tremor. So we've got Parkinson's disease and the Parkinson's plus syndromes, toxin-induced Parkinsonism, and various drugs. So I said earlier the classification of tremor is either resting, action, or mixed. We've talked about resting. This is action tremors. The main ones are an enhanced physiological tremor, an essential tremor, cerebellar tremor, or once again, drugs. Mm. So enhanced physiological tremor. What's that all about? So things like hypothyroidism. Yep. Too much caffeine. Most of the non-neurological mm. tremors. Systemic causes. Mm. Theochromocytoma. Theochromocytoma. Mm. Stress, fatigue. Yeah, good. Another one is uh, low blood, blood sugar levels, um, which can happen in non-diabetics as well. And, and drugs, again, including caffeine. So that's quite common. Now, the important thing to know about an enhanced physiological tremor is that it affects the arms and the legs and the voice, as you might know from trying to do a speech when you're really nervous, mm. but it doesn't affect the head. Unlike the doesn't next one. Doesn't matter. <laughs> doesn't really. What? When I'm giving a speech. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's hear your rendition of a, an essential, an enhanced physiological tremor during speech double. We'll get to that later. Okay. So, <laughs> so, so the next one is essential tremor, and that's the most common movement disorder that there is. And it's usually familial, as I said earlier. So this can affect not only the arms, legs, and voice, but also the head. So they get this characteristic sort of, it's almost like a head bubble. Um, and that gets worse with fatigue and stress, which is a really important thing to know when you try to differentiate essential tremor from something like a psychogenic tremor. So you can say to the patient, count backwards from... 65 and while they're concentrating on doing that and you know maths is pretty stressful mm -hmm. the tremor gets worse whereas if it's psychogenic they are distracted and the tremor might actually resolve during that mm. period of stress and concentration there's a lot of functional neurology with tremors there's a lot of functional neurology with everything as with i'm neurology. learning on my neurology <laughs> rotation and so essential tremor can also be it's a clinical diagnosis, and, and one of the things you can ask patients is when you have a drink, does it go away? So alcohol affects the GABAergic system, and through, through that can reduce the essential tremor. Also, benzodiazepines, barbiturates, and gabapentin do the same thing. Mm. So if the patient is taking those drugs for any other reasons, they might note that their tremor goes away. So that's essential tremor. The next kind of uh, tremor that's an action tremor is a cerebellar tremor and that comes about from anything causing damage to the cerebellar pathways. So what are the obvious things that come to mind? Strokes. Mm -hmm. uh, trauma. Yes. Yeah. yeah, so I mean if you get stabbed in the cerebellum, uh, if you've got MS, <laughs> mm. um, it, it's usually associated with ataxia as well. So is that waiting room diagnosis. Yeah, so the wide-based gait. Mm. Um, lastly, we have drugs. So mm. we listed off a whole bunch of drugs before. These are different drugs. These mm. ones cause an action tremor. Mm. Antidepressants, mood stabilizers, anti-epileptics, which is interesting because you can also treat um, action tremors with mm. particular anti-epileptics. Um, but it depends on... It is, it's all a matter of dosages. Some cardiac drugs like amiodarone can cause an action tremor. Immunosuppressants asthma drugs and stimulants, including those uh, non-prescription ones like amphetamines. Uh. So that's action tremor, enhanced physiological, essential, cerebellar, and drugs. Lastly, we've got uh, mixed tremors, mixed resting and action. 
The main ones here, uh, well, the main one here is psychogenic tremors, mm. which can be due to any number of psychological causes, and Wilson's disease. So, do you remember what Wilson's disease is? Too much copper in the body. Copper deposition disease. Mm. Yeah, copper de- deposition everywhere. So, this is something we always learnt as early medical students before we even know how many lungs we had. We need to look in the eye for Kaiser <laughs> Flasher rings. How many lungs do we have? Six or something. Okay. Podcast on that. <laughs> okay, so we've talked about the classification of tremor, and finally we get the patient into the consulting room, and you get a bit more of a history. So her history of com- presenting complaint was that she's had this tremor for about six months. It's been getting worse, and it comes and goes a little bit. She thinks it's exacerbated by concentration, but hasn't really found that it's relieved by anything. And we asked her if alcohol made it better, and as with every patient who I've ever asked this question to. She said, no, I don't drink alcohol. Never. I've never, I don't, I don't drink alcohol. Patients tend to be really, really defensive about this because they assume you're asking them because you think that they're alcoholics. Yeah, so, Stereotyping them. Yeah. And so, so you, you're you drunk gen- it, aren't you? And, and the thing is you genuinely want to know when they have a glass of wine, does it get better? So yeah. asking them specifically, what about you know, on birthdays or anything like that. I'm making it clear that yeah. the reason you're asking is because it can help treat it and it can help you make the diagnosis is really important there. Um, so she's telling you about this tremor and it becomes apparent that it's really significantly affecting her quality of life. She used to be a teacher but she retired a couple of years ago and was enjoying doing a lot of crochet and watercolour painting in her retirement and now she can't do any of that. She didn't come up with blue poles, did she? She didn't come up with what? Blue poles. What's yeah, that? Famous piece of modern Jackson art. Pollock. In the, yeah. Ah, no, but we could probably suggest that to her as a future <laughs> endeavour. Um, her tremor didn't really have any associated features, so we asked her about anxiety, which would cause a uh, an enhanced physiological tremor, mm-hmm. gait troubles, we've talked about a lot, uh, weakness, heart palpitations, which could be a sign of... A number of things, so phacromocytoma, thyrotoxicosis, hypoglycemia, visual blurriness, also from low blood sugar levels, weight changes. She didn't have any of those things. Her past medical history, as we mentioned earlier, was only significant for hypertension, for which she uses enalapril, but she has never, ever used any other kinds of medications. So we're not looking at a drug picture here. She also denies using any other illicit drugs and, as I said earlier, any alcohol. Um, and she's from home with her husband and otherwise very happy and well. So you do an examination. Blood pressure is normal. Her upper limb, lower limb and cranial um, nerve neurological examinations are normal except for this tremor. So what you notice about the tremor, um, I, I wish I could show you a video, but instead maybe we can... Um, put it in the linked up. Well, put it in the linked up, exactly. I was hoping that you might be able to describe <laughs> what you could see, but okay. Maybe you can act it out for us, or the voice tremor does. <laughs> yeah, so, so the way you test for a voice tremor, you say to the patient, um, you know, just, just preparing say, the throat. Yeah. <clears throat> <laughs> so you say to the patient, say, ah, and then they say, all right, that wasn't great, but something approximating that. So it sounds like they're going down a bumpy road. Uh, yeah, that's better. That's a high frequency tremor. You also notice that uh, she has a bilateral action tremor. So that is to say that when she's resting with her hands on her 
um, on her lap. There's no tremor, mm. but you ask her to put her arms out in front of her and the, and the tremor presents itself, mm. affecting both her hands, but more on the left side than the right side. And you notice that she has an axial tremor, which means um, sort of the axial skeleton is the head and the neck and the spine. So she's got a head, a head bob. Mm. So voice tremor, bilateral action tremor, affecting the hands more on the left than the right and a head tremor. So the next thing you ask her to do is to uh, do some writing and draw some spirals. So this is a good way of, of really nailing down whether this is a resting or action tremor. Um, you ask her to draw a spiral and she more or less can't do it. We'll put a picture in the link dump but you, you get a picture of just squiggly lines. Mm. Um, handwriting is a good way of comparing or differentiating between Parkinson's disease and essential tremor. In Parkinson's disease, you tend to get really small handwriting, which has a special name. Micrographia. Yeah. Right. Um, and because Parkinson's disease, as we said earlier, is associated with a uh, resting tremor, once they're performing an action, like handwriting, the tremor goes away. So you can actually read their handwriting, whereas in essential tremor, it's an action tremor, and so the handwriting is just illegible because the tremor is manifesting in the writing. Mm -hmm. So when you ask Diane to uh, write write a sentence, you just get um, yeah, a Jackson Pollock painting more or less. <laughs> so that's our case. So just to summarise, 66-year-old female presenting with six months of bilateral hand action tremor, head tremor and voice tremor, significantly affecting her quality of life. Past medical history um, was hypertension, but she's otherwise well and on no medications apart from Enalapril, and she does have a family history of a tremor of unknown origin in her father. On examination, um, like we described before, the tremor affecting her hands, head and voice, otherwise normal examination, and no gross signs of hyperthyroidism. So what's the diagnosis here? So that head tremor on the examination, there's only one that had a head tremor, the familial or the, the essential tremor? Mm. Yeah, so essential tremor is also called... Um, benign familial tremor. So that's right, that's that's what we what we think she's got. A couple of things that we'd want to rule out though, just to make sure. So thyrotoxicosis, easy to do a TSH level. Yeah, exactly. So we run one of them on her and also another blood test. And also just like everyone always want to rule out hypoglycemia. Yeah. Even though she's not diabetic, she could be. Mm. Yeah, I mean I put that in there, but um, even in a di diabetic, if they're getting hypoglycemia, that's usually because they're taking too much mm. insulin and yeah. um, so diabetics who are untreated tend to go towards hypoglycemia but why not everyone about. in the population should be tested anyway <laughs> um sorry i should have mentioned that earlier a couple of other urgent things just in general or yeah. not necessarily urgent but important things to consider in the assessment of tremor are as we've spoken about earlier the cerebellar <laughs> tremor in case there's been a stroke pheochromocytoma which, urinary metanephrons yeah, or, or, or just make sure that you've taken a good history and examinations. They might get a headache, sweating, yeah. tachycardia. Look at you with your medicine. <laughs> <laughs> and you do that after you order the <laughs> Another one's alcohol withdrawal, um, which you really need to get on very quickly. And that's an acute presentation and not at all um, like in, in Diane's case with this six months of history. Mm. So we think she's got an essential tremor. Our management options are firstly just to reassure her and a lot of patients are happy with reassurance it's nothing bad and just going home and 
carrying on their lives. But in Diane's case, it is affecting her life and she does want some management. There are some ethical issues surrounding the prescription of alcohol, but you actually can. You can prescribe one one standard drink a day if um, if you're ethically okay with that. I don't think it's officially in the guidelines, but it is. Is it on the PBS? I don't know if it's on the PBS. <laughs> we'll see what we can do. I have seen it prescribed before. Patients are usually very happy with that one. <laughs> but the first-line treatment is propranolol. Um, there are some other options up your sleeve if that doesn't work. Second line treatment is primidone. Third line is benzodiazepines or gabapentin. Mm-hmm. And for those patients refractory to pharmacotherapy, you can use deep brain stimulation of the thalamus or actually take out part of the thalamus with mm. stereotactic thalotomy. And I recently went to a meeting where I saw a lady with a central tremor who had had the surgery. Wow. And they turned off the device. I don't think... They hadn't revealed that she had one yet and just showed her like trying to drink a glass of water, empty. What kind of meeting was this? They can turn off the device without... Oh, yeah, yeah. Was the woman aware? Were they just yeah, like yeah. having the remote control <laughs> to this woman? Wow. You can turn them on and off. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, she was trying to drink like water or like cutting a meal and it was just all completely impossible. And then boom, turned it off and within seconds she was just completely normal. It was incredible. Medicine. Yeah. There you go. More like sorcery. It was, sorcery. It was amazing. Yeah, that is amazing. Property. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I think that's about it um, for tremors. So just in summary, tremors can be resting, action, or mixed, uh, although things often in the real world don't fit into those categories quite so neatly. The most common kinds of tremor are Parkinson's disease, which is a resting tremor, and essential tremor, which is an action tremor. It's really important to take a very good history, particularly a very good drug history, it's important to rule out thyrotoxicosis, hypoglycemia, phaochromocytoma, alcohol withdrawal, and cerebellar stroke. And you can treat essential tremor with reassurance if it's mild or propranolol if there's a significant effect on the quality of life. Great. Good job. All right. That's all. Thanks for listening. Thanks so much, Beck. Bye. <laughs>